that's what football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Sam Bonson. We're live on YouTube with a very, very special show here, Sam. Dane Brugler from The Athletic, mm-hmm. standing by, waiting for us to bring him in. Yep. So we're going to get into it in just a second. The PFF NFL podcast, though, it's all sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. And you can also get started with the beast. That's right, Dane's draft guide which is over at the athletic mm-hmm. let's get dane right in here we'll talk about it i want to know how he gets how many pages was this thing it's not even that many pages well, it's, it's there's quite a, a lot of, of words 308 words uh 308 pages but it's like there's a lot of info crammed in there dane welcome to the show how's it going hey it's uh it's my my pleasure for uh being able to join you guys it's uh yeah it, it's a labor of love you know it's a lot of work it's uh uh, it's a year in the making, really. So uh, to be able to share it finally with everybody uh, was a really rewarding feeling. It's got to be awesome. Can you describe some of your process? Because we're talking about paragraphs on hundreds and hundreds of players, thousands of players mm-hmm. essentially ranked. Um, how, where do you start? You know, when you're starting next year's. You know, how do you get all this information? Well, it, it's kind of like a living document, right? So, you know, I through the course of this year, I always pick up stuff for next year. You know, it's a player talking about a guy that's going to be in next year's draft or a scout saying, hey, we're talking about uh, Ohio State and we're talking about uh, a certain position. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, watch for number 12 next year. He, he's going to be a guy. And, you know, it's, so it, it's about all these notes ready for next year. But really, it starts in earnest uh, in June. I try to... I try to take May to kind of, you know, reintroduce myself to my family. Um, <laughs> That's good. I, I, I coach my, or I help coach my my daughter's softball team, my son's baseball team, uh, you know, do some stuff around the house, that kind of thing. But then in June, really dive into it. And that, that's where the base is. You know, it's uh, get it, doing all the tape for the seniors and some of the notable underclassmen, getting the base down. Uh, so we have a, a just a good understanding going into the season of, okay, based on summer scouting, here's our kind of our expectations for the upcoming class. And then obviously throughout the year, you have, you know, things change based off updated tape, updated evidence. Um, and, and then you go into, uh, you know, once January hits, then you're in the thick of it with all-star season and then combine and pro days again. So it's it really is a year-round thing where it's just constant, um information control you know because you have so much stuff coming at you and so just understanding what's relevant what's not i think the biggest thing for me too is my biggest challenge is understanding when i've seen enough of a player because there's always one more tape you could watch right you know there's always oh it's one more tape or let's see let's see time management so you're watching the right tapes um how many you need to get a, a really good sense of who that player is 
Um, so I, over the years, I've learned, uh, tr- hopefully, you know, try to get better with that process of making sure I'm watching the right thing. So I'm, I'm being efficient with my time. Um, and, and then just understanding, okay, yeah, I, I think I've seen enough. I think this is who this player is. For for some players, it's, you know, five tapes. For quarterbacks, you know, you want at least uh, eight, nine, ten. And, and sometimes that's not even enough to really give you a great sense. So it, it really is a moving target. How do you decide, you know, which tapes you're you're going to watch for guys? Or, and, and specifically, kind of how good a guy was likely in in a specific tape you know you want to make sure you don't miss like a glaringly bad game somewhere along the way or a glaringly good one that might not have been obvious just from box score stats or whatever what's your process for kind of zeroing in on which tapes you want to watch well i mean first off i think it's important to watch throughout the year um making sure you're not watching all september or all november you know just in case there's there's an injury in there uh you know a guy was dealing with a hamstring first half of the year second half he was fully healthy that kind of thing. So making sure it's sp- spread out a little bit. Um, but obviously, I, you know, you can go based off of top competition for some guys. For some teams, it's a little bit easier. Um, if you're dealing with like an SEC uh, prospect, then it gets a little tougher about which games exactly you're going to watch. But, um, you know, that's where, you know, during the season, I, you know, on Saturdays, I'm watching these games uh, on, on TV. And so I'm making notes based off of that and saying, okay, hey, make sure you watch – Go back and watch this. This the third quarter. Ten minutes left in the game. Make sure you're watching. You know, check this play, or you know, just things like that to make sure. Uh, based off of just TV watching, I'm going back to those tapes. So that that helps a lot as well. Um, and there will be times where I'll, I'll get to March and I feel like I know a player, and then you know I'm talking about a, a player with somebody I trust and they're saying this these things and you know did you watch this tape it's like oh shoot no I I watched you know seven of his tapes I didn't watch this one so I'm gonna go back and watch that one make sure I didn't miss something so it's it, it's an inexact science you know it's it's not like there's a perfect process for it try to just pick and choose the best you can so when we're talking about which games to watch you know one of our biggest debates here has been CJ Stroud specifically and how do you weigh the Georgia game? How do you weigh C.J. Stroud against Georgia, which looked nothing like the rest of his season? So how, what's yeah. your perspective? Did C.J. Stroud answer all of his questions, or was it just this one-game sample that happened to be against the best team in the last thing that we saw? That's the debate, right? I mean, that's what every NFL team that's looking at C.J. Stroud uh, as a realistic possibility for them, that, that's what they're asking. Uh, because, I, I, I mean, the first – like 27, 28 games, I think he played 28 games. The first 27 games of his career, uh, you know, you saw one player, and then the last game where he had a month to prepare. Uh, you know, how much does that go into the into the whole equation? Um, but all I, I know is the best defense he's probably ever faced, uh, the, one of the biggest stages he's ever been on, and to go out there and do what he did, I mean, that, that has to count for a, a lot in terms of, because uh, yeah, there is an old scouting adage if you've seen a player do it once you know he can do it then it's just up to my coaches to make sure that he does it consistently so i think from that perspective you're optimistic that okay we saw that he could negotiate the pocket uh deal with pressure uh it, really use his legs to be more than just a, a designed uh, quarterback run guy i mean he, he can be a little uh creative which and that's the big question with with Stroud is can he be creative enough uh, when things go off schedule to make things happen like he did against Georgia? Um, and I think that 
the answers to those questions will be a little bit different for everybody. Not everybody will be fully bought in, but some will look at that Georgia tape and say, look, I saw him do it. I know he can do it. And so I'll bet on that every day. So, you know, I, I think that it, it's the answer is a little bit different for everybody. It does make it a little bit difficult. You wish you could have seen that, you know, where was this before? You know, where was this? Um, and, and I think a big part of it, too, is did he really even have to do that a lot? You know, I, that's one of the biggest questions I have with Stroud is just the playing with two NFL tackles, left tackle, right tackle. Uh, he didn't have to move often I, you know where he had, was really flushed from the pocket or feeling a lot of pressure um you know there were there were times you know i think of the iowa game and uh a few other games where you know penn state where you know he I felt like he left some meat on the bone where he could have been a little more creative creating uh outside of structure but uh you know he didn't have to do it very often on tape and this goes back to with with stroud you, it goes back to peewee goes back to high school He's never been a guy that wants to be uh, on the move and using his athleticism. It's not that he's not a good athlete. It's just that he wants to be a pocket passer. And I don't, you know, we can't fault him for that. But at the same time, it's more about just being, you know, using all your tools to your advantage, you know, just being smart about it. And so I think he's still in the process of learning, okay, when is, you know, that internal clock, when is, okay, I've stated, I've, I've, uh, you know, worn out my welcome here in the pocket, let's go uh, create a little bit, see what's outside. And that's the big debate with Stroud is can he be more consistent with that uh, ability to create? So your quarterback rankings generally, I think, are, are fairly well in line with the consensus. You see it as a kind of big four uh, group, um, yeah. and all four of those guys are in your top 15 of the, the top 100 and the, the back of this guide. Bryce Young is your number one quarterback and your number one player overall. How high are you on Bryce Young, and you know how does the, how does the completely ridiculous size thing factor into your evaluation? It's tough, right? Uh, we've never seen a quarterback uh, this size in the modern era. So how how should it uh, factor into your evaluation? You know, uh, I mean, I, I, I I'm not so much worried about the size as I'm worried about durability and being able to hold up. Right. That slight build, just it, it and especially for a guy like Bryce, because he welcomes the chaos. He wants the chaos yep. because that means that it's, you know, it's, he'd rather have a guy bearing down on him because it gives that route an extra half beat to get open. So he welcomes that chaos. And in the NFL where everything's just a little bit faster, even, even compared to the SEC, everything's a little bit faster. So you're going to take some hits. Can his body hold up? And that is, that's, that's the question is, can he be durable enough to hold up for a 17 game schedule into the playoffs and be healthy um and not miss games and do this for you know the next 10 years uh, that I, I if you come to the conclusion that you're not confident he can do that i understand i understand completely where you're coming from um but at the end of the day when you you know when you evaluate quarterbacks I, you're making bets so i'm gonna bet on the guy that is special when it comes to his instincts, his vision, his processing, his accuracy, uh, all the things that matter so much to position. I'm going to bet on those things and kind of cross my fingers that he's going to be able to stay healthy. And I, I, I hear, you know, crossing your fingers that he's going to stay healthy. It's not, it's not really a, a, a sound process or, you know, but at the same time, 
when you evaluate quarterbacks, you're going to have to give on something unless you're evaluating, uh, you know, a no brainer at number one, which I don't think this draft has one of those guys. You're going to have to give on something. And with Bryce, you're going to just hope that you're going to be able to keep him healthy enough that he's going to evolve as well in terms of taking care of his body a little bit more. So, you know, just understanding, okay, welcoming that chaos, but at the same time, not taking hits. Uh, so I, I'm going to bet on that. I'm going to bet on everything that, you know, intangible that he brings to the position and yeah, see what happens. So I, I think that's what the Panthers are going to come to the, their, the conclusion too, is listen, this guy, yeah, he's, he's an outlier. The, the moment we draft him, he's gonna be the smallest quarterback in the league, but I think our offensive line is in a good spot and we're going to bet on the guy that is special between the ears and just everything he brings intangible wise how high do you have him ranked or graded compared with you know previous the last few kind of draft classes of quarterbacks obviously last year is a it was a rough year right. not a great comp but you know the the trevor lawrence year that kind of thing where does bryce young stack up with those with the fact that we don't really know what to do with the size thing but on the field this is what he looks like yeah and you know it's always tough to do this because I find it tough because I, I, I have to eliminate what the guy's done in the NFL, right? right. And so uh, it, it, just going based off of strictly how, how we thought of them as prospects, I, I'd probably still have a higher grade on Trevor Lawrence. Um, now, the interesting thing is, is if we start to talk about next year's quarterback class, when things get really interesting with Caleb Williams uh, and Drake May, and I, I, I get it. You know, next year's quarterback class is always better, uh, quote unquote. You know, it's a it's a cliche we hear almost every year. It was true last year when we talked about uh, this uh, quarterback class, and I think it's true for for next year's quarterback class with the guys we have coming up next year. So uh, I think there's a good chance. As much as I love Bryce Young, I think you know Trevor Lawrence has a higher grade, and there's a good chance both those guys next year. Uh, will have higher grades uh, it, because in, in the size being the main factor there. Caleb Williams, uh, he's – and the other thing with Bryce it, that worries me a little bit is that w when he is in the pocket and things close up on him a little bit, he, does, he doesn't have that power arm where he's going to step into the, 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 the throw and drill these darts down the field. He has a good enough arm. I'm not worried about the arm, but it's not a power arm, and that worries you a little bit. Caleb Williams, I, I don't have that worry at all. So, you know, I think there's a good chance both those guys next year have higher grades than uh, on what I uh, see Bryce Young this year. Yeah, Caleb Williams does some ridiculous things uh, with the ball. I mean, you're going <clears> to <throat> you're gonna hear Patrick Mahomes comps. You're going to hear comps for mm -hmm. every great quarterback for Caleb Williams next year. Um, <clears throat> do you have, like, a hard grading – number or specific system is there a way to go back and say this guy was uh this guy was a seven this guy was a 7.2 do you have that is that hidden somewhere because it's not necessarily displayed but do you have that to reference how does that process work for you yeah i mean i do i have my own internal that means probably absolutely nothing to anybody but except for me you know, like it's my, my draft own language yeah yeah uh, uh it, it's my own scouting language of uh you know, weighted for for this and that and how i view certain traits and uh things like that and, and i i think that i tweak it almost every year so it does make it difficult uh because you know i think the biggest so i've learned over the years the best uh trait for an evaluator is to be a self-evaluator and understand okay this is what i've gotten wrong this is what i've gotten right why you know and, and understanding and so I, I do tweak my process a little bit every year and so I, I kind of screws up my uh you know be able to compare it year to year but um, yeah, I, I, I do have my own kind of internal uh, grading system that I use. 
So one of the things we debate here all the time is how much in quarterback evaluation specifically, I don't know where you stood on Josh Allen or Justin Herbert mm-hmm. or Mahomes coming out. Um, and again, it's more it's more art than science, right? Everybody probably wrote, hey, Mahomes could be special, right? And we could all point back to like, hey, we said Mahomes could right. be special, right? Um, but do you ever go back and say, these guys have hit more than they did previously, right? The great traits quarterbacks have hit far more in the last five or six years probably than they did the previous 10 to 15 does that change your evaluations at all? Is that a is that an evolving league, or is that just a, just you know, the the numbers, right? We just started to hit on some more of the toolsy type of quarterbacks recently. Yeah, and I, I think above all, quarterback is an intangible position, and it's just trying to understand what makes these guys tick, you know, because the tools they matter. There's no question, but I, I think Jalen Hurts is a great example, like for a guy that. Because a lot, of, I think Jalen Hurts coming into the league, I wouldn't call his skill set special necessarily. But you know, it, it was a it was a a, a really versatile, athletic, uh, talented skill set. And it's a matter of, but not everyone, you know, with Jalen Hurts has Jalen Hurts uh, uh, competitive toughness and mental toughness, so he could work through all the mistakes that he went through to fix certain things and get better and and, you know josh allen same type of thing where you know he's learning on the fly and getting better learning from those mistakes you know some of these a lot of these quarterbacks they don't learn from sitting and you know reading digesting a playbook and watching film they need to be on the on the field and that's you know with anthony richardson he's a guy that i i need him on the field to learn to get better and so I, i that's the big question with anthony richardson is if i'm a team looking considering drafting him how long before I feel comfortable to get him on the field? If it's not until next year, that really worries me because I think he's not going to get truly better until he gets on the field. You know, it's it's we hear all the time like, oh, just let him sit for a year. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know that that really does all that much. Um, I think you know, especially a guy like Richardson and you know Josh Allen, same type of thing. I, getting these guys on the field, letting them learn from their mistakes, uh, understanding what NFL play speed looks like, feels like, uh, and working through that—that that, that's, that's such a key part of developing. And so, going to understanding where these guys, where, what makes these guys tip, when can they get on the field, and having the mental toughness to work through those mistakes. Uh, to me, that's as big of a key factor here as as anything. So having those tools is is great, and it's a big part of the equation. But having the mental toughness to work through the mistakes and work through all the errors that are inevitable uh, that come with playing the position at a high level against NFL defenses that that that's a big part of this too. So you know, I, I, and I think uh, with Hertz, it's a great example because he is. He, I mean, he's a rock. He, he's a he's a guy that has so much confidence and belief in himself. That he can work through all that, and it's not going to deter him. He's going to keep chugging away, getting better and better. And just not every quarterback has that psyche, has that mentality. So trying to understand, uh, you know, getting to the the head of all these guys, that that's the toughest part of quarterback evaluation for, especially for us on the outside, but even for teams who have unlimited resources and you know all this access to uh, to these quarterbacks. So it really makes it interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's a really interesting balancing act now between experience and getting getting these guys improving on-field reps like Trey Lance is is a good example and Mm -hmm. there's a comp there with Anthony Richardson like just incredibly inexperienced and I agree with you I think because 
probably a, a bunch of factors, but one of them being the practice time being different. Like, you know, Bill Parcells wasn't crazy by wanting mm -hmm. only guys that had like 40 plus college starts under their, their belt because of that experience, because of those, right. those live reps, the, the real bullets flying, that kind of thing. And sure, it's not, you know, college experience is different to the NFL experience, but it's still important. And the absence of total experience, I think, is an issue. And if you're going to be one of those guys where you're taking a guy that's very inexperienced, you have to have a pathway to being able to play them in the NFL while they're not the finished article. And I think that's where that running ability really shows up for guys like Jalen Hurts, Justin mm -hmm. Fields, Josh Allen as well, um, presumably Anthony Richardson, and maybe where Trey Lance has had problems is that they, didn't, they haven't put him on the field yet. Like he didn't really play right away, then got injured and hasn't been able to play. So he hasn't been able to get better during the course of a career, whereas – uh, Jalen Hurts had a couple of years to develop as a passer. Justin Fields has bought himself time to, to develop as a passer. And I agree with you. If Anthony Richardson is going to be your guy, you need to be confident building an offense year one that he can function in that lets him develop as a passer. Right, exactly. And Anthony Richardson's a guy who didn't play at a big-time high school. So, you know, this is – uh, he, he's really still learning quarterback, uh, the language and everything that goes along with it. And, you know, talking to teams that met with him at the combine, I think they were optimistic about how he learns and, um, you know, just, you know, he's a smart guy, but I think they were also a little bit worried about just all the things he doesn't know yet because he hasn't been exposed to it because of just the, the one year as a starter, uh, under 400 career pass attempts. I mean, you go through uh, all the quarterbacks in the NFL, it's hard to find quarterbacks uh, that had fewer than 400 pass attempts in college. Yeah, uh, it, it, It's just, it's, it, it makes it tough. Yeah, Trey Lance is you know, one of the fewest, uh, fewer, few guys that you could say that about. And obviously Trey Lance is, uh, it, it's an incomplete at this point. We just haven't seen enough of him to really know what he is as an NFL player. So best. It, yeah. it, it, it makes it tough to figure out uh, a guy like Richardson, who's so we've never really seen a guy that, you know, six, four, two forty five, uh and can run a four, three or four, four low four, four uh, has the arm that he does, uh, but is so inexperienced in a lot of quarterback things. Um, so, you know, I, I, and, but I understand that if you're going to bet on a quarterback, why not bet on the guy that, uh, has all these tools to work with? And I think something else too, and I had, uh, uh, an NFL exec point this out to me, uh, talking about quarterbacks a couple weeks ago or a couple uh, about a month ago, we talked so much about, you know, Anthony Richardson being these like, you know, high ceiling, uh, because the tools, you know, he, he's he's got all this potential. Uh, the tools, when you when you look at quarterbacks, the the, the these all these great tools, to, they raise the floor, not necessarily the ceiling. You know, we, we, how they develop once they get to the NFL, that'll figure out the ceiling. But being able to have that size and that athleticism, that arm, that raises the floor for a guy like Anthony Richardson. Uh, so the tools that he brings, all these traits, that 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 gives you a really good floor to work with. And then how now how he develops mentally and with uh, all the quarterback specific things that you need to do in the NFL to be specific, to to be successful. That's what's going to figure out the ceiling. So you know I I think we kind of uh, get it backwards sometimes when we talk about 
how 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 tools he is and how the upside's so high and and i i think we need to talk about maybe the floor being pretty high for an anthony richardson yeah. it's just about okay what does the ceiling look like and that's all based on the mental development especially the running ability the running ability absolutely raises the floor when teams tap into it right i mean that's the jalen right. like jalen hurts could have games where he only completed 10 passes and the Eagles could still move the ball because of his running ability. Um, I want to talk receivers because we, we did a receiver ranking show a couple weeks ago. They're always a tough position to rank because there's so many different receiver positions and wants and needs. Just looking at yes. your rankings, you have Quinton Johnston at five. Some people are higher on Quinton Johnston. You might be a little lower on him. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, you have at three. He's kind of a polarizing guy. And then for Sam and I, um, we were both really low on Zay Flowers from BC relative to the rest of, I'd, I'd say, other evaluators. We had him more as a second-round type of prospect. You have him fourth as a first, second-round type of player. Um, wh where do you see those guys? What were some of the strengths, weaknesses you saw between Jalen Hyatt, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, who you have as your three, four, five? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm glad you set it up that way because, I mean, especially on Twitter, and we get so caught up in – uh, you know what the wide receiver stack looks like and yeah. debating between uh, first receiver and second receiver and uh, these guys are so different in what they offer and what position they're going to play in the nfl like I, it, is it really even worth debating uh you know who's a better prospect between quick johnston and uh jackson smith and jigba you know because they're so different in what right. they offer and what they bring that it's more about what what does your offense look like and yep. you know what what does your offense need um, so, you know, and Jalen Hyatt, a great example. He's very specific in what he offers. You know, he's, uh, I think he's above average in two key areas, uh, vertical speed and ball tracking. He, he's very, very good in those two areas. And so if your team needs that vertical burner, a guy that can win down the field, that can really uh, you know, stretch out a defense vertically, I, he, he's your guy. Uh, but if you want more of a route runner, you want more that's going to win, someone that's going to win underneath, um, you know, these, he's not, he's just not what you're looking for. So I think it really depends. Um, not, not enough is talked about with receivers and the different positions and what teams uh, are looking for specifically. Um, I, for me, I, I, it's really weird because I, I want size at the position, yet of my top seven receivers this year, over half of them, four of them are under 180 pounds, uh, which is kind of a red flag. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah. what are we trending this way or are we – are we pushing these guys up, you know, more so than we have in past years because this isn't a great receiver class at the top? Um, let's take last year's receiver class, for example. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Where would the, the, the top receiver this year fall in last year's class? For me, I, I think he'd be outside the top six. Uh, with uh, last year was you know Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jameson Williams, Olave, uh, Dotson, and uh, Traylon Burks. I think that for me, my top receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think he would have been my seventh of that group. And, you know, it, it's it, so even though the top receiver this year 
probably goes somewhere in that 15 to 25 range. I think it's important to understand just context wise that, you know, being the first receiver drafted this year doesn't necessarily mean the same as being, uh, you know, compared to past wide receiver drafts. But, you know, Smith and Jigba, if you're looking for that slot guy, he, he, he he's he's exactly what you want. Uh, route runner, the spatial awareness is special. Ball skills are above average. Um, Jordan Addison, uh, wish he were bigger. That's the big hang up with him. 173 pounds at the combine. And then his pro day was 170 pounds. So I actually lost some weight. Uh, you know, you worry about just, you know, that size and be able to work up, uh, uh, the play strength going up against NFL level DBs, but he has some, some suddenness to him. He does have the crisp footwork. So, you know, he can work in and out of breaks, get open, um, has some return experience as well, has yak ability. Um, the production's outstanding. He's the only three-year receiver in this in this draft to have over 3,000 uh, career receiving yards. Um, you know, Jalen Hyatt, we talked about. Uh, Zay Flowers, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with you. I'm not as nearly as high on Zay Flowers as um, most people seem to be. Um, not a slam dunk first round prospect by any means. Um, you know, I graded him as more of a second rounder as well. He ended up, I think at number like 32 overall for me. Um, you know, so right on that cusp of maybe getting, getting the first round, maybe not. Um, it is, I think he showed more of a three level ability this year, being able to win deep, which he didn't always show in the past, which I think that was, uh, encouraging. Um, you know, but still you're dealing with smaller player. He's five, nine, Bulked up. Uh, he was right around 175, but he bulked up, got over 180 for the draft process, uh, which is always good to see. Quinn Johnston is always tough because it, the pro day didn't help either because you 6'3", 208, um, and you know, he was smart. He did exactly what he knew he was good at at the combine. 40 and a half in the vert, 11-2 in the broad. Great. You know, that's that's exactly what, you know, you see that explosiveness on, on film, but then at the pro day, runs uh, four five one in the 40, uh, which is not terrible, but not great. Uh, seven two one or seven three one in the three cone, below average. Um, and, and so, you know, he's not necessarily a traditional ball winner. More drops than you want to see on, on his tape. So, Quentin Johnson has so much ability. It's just okay. What is he? What's his comp at the next level? You know, what do we see him becoming? Um, and it, do we ever see him being a true number one, or is he gonna? Do we think he can develop into a number two? So I, I think there's a lot of different opinions on Quentin Johnston uh, outside the league and inside the league. So and then Josh Downs, from North Carolina, he's a true slot. And then one of my favorite receivers this year, Tyler Scott from Cincinnati, big fan of his. He's another guy, 5'10", 177, So not big but speed, speed, speed. And he was a uh, an option running back in high school. So this is not a guy, and you wouldn't guess it by watching his tape. He, he For a guy that's not been playing the position very long, uh, he, he plays uh, like a receiver who's, who has been playing for a, a long time with the way he runs his routes. Uh, his ball skills uh, are, are pretty impressive for his size. Uh, and a guy that didn't catch the ball very much in high school. Um, and one of my favorite stats from from this uh, this this class is he has 14 career touch 14 touchdowns the last two years all of them went for 20 plus yards 
and the average of uh, all 14 touchdowns was 44.6 yards per catch wow. for touchdown catch. So this is a guy that can create uh, both deep and then catch and run. So I see I see a lot of Tyler I, Tyler Lockett. We, we get one comp every year to Tyler Lockett. <laughs> for me, this year, I, I think it's Tyler Scott. I think he has that type of ability. Well, this is the year for Tyler Lockett comps because they're all built like Tyler I've Lockett. I've seen it for Josh Downs right. before right. I've referenced that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. It is wild. Like all of the top receivers almost in this class are small there. And then what is strange to me is that you then get to a group later on where they're all big. Like you you get to this group of guys at the top that are all sort of built like Tyler Lockett. And then you get to the mid low rounds where there are all these sort of six foot three, 200 plus pound speedsters that aren't actually great football players, but have the have what the look like what it should look like and and aren't those kind of players. Um, I want to get to cornerbacks uh, for a minute because at the top, I think it's becoming this interesting coin flip now for a lot of people between Christian Gonzalez, Morgan, and Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. When I went through and watched them, I, I, I found it comfortably Devin Witherspoon is the number one guy. I, I get the reasons entirely why you would lean the other direction because Gonzalez is the, the physical prototype. He's what you want, right? He's got the six-foot size. He's got the, the almost 200 pounds. He's got the movement skills, the the speed and that's like all the question marks with Witherspoon are those things it's the kind of does he have that slick movement the size etc so from the tape when you watch Christian Gonzalez specifically did you see enough concerns to make you back away from kind of what he is or are you sort of projecting into the NFL given the movement skills given the ability given his obvious talent like he'll get there like it's more of a uh, what he can be at the next level as opposed to what he is right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm going to bet on the traits. And I, I think Christian Gonzalez, I, and this is something, going back to the summer, um, I mentioned how that's my process is really in the summer, lay the groundwork. And I had someone tell me, hey, make sure you watch Christian Gonzalez. Um, and so I, I did. And uh, I was I was blown away. The, the uh, analogy I use is uh, – you know, at the end of Avengers Endgame, when uh, you know, everyone's coming back and um, Captain America, you know, he says assemble, and I was like, I was like, why, why is this comic book movie giving me goosebumps? Like, I don't, what, what is happening? And and I'm watching this Colorado corner, and he's just blowing me away with the way he's moving out there and this coverability. I'm like, why is this Colorado corner? giving me goosebumps but that's how it felt last summer watching christian gonzalez and then he transfers to oregon and i thought he he played even better and i thought he the concerns i had with gonzalez uh coming into the year he made me feel better about this year i thought the ball skills were better uh the uh, ability to turn locate make a play um he got better throughout the year as the year went on this is still a, a really young player um he doesn't turn 21 until june uh late june so, you know, young player, he's, you know, six, one and a half, 200 pounds. Uh, you know, the speed metrics are, are awesome. Um, I think he's, it, it, the, the play strength is good enough. It's not a, it's not something that I, I'm worried about. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of, now the one thing that does worry me a little bit is he reminds me a lot of Jeff Akuda coming out. And obviously, you know, Jeff Akuda hasn't exactly worked out now. You know, it's injuries and stuff. There, it's not exactly a uh, apples to apples comparison, but you know that that maybe gave me a little bit of a pause there. But uh, I, not, but I'm with you on on Devin Witherspoon. I mean, to me, I mean, he's he's right there, and he's a guy that 
I liked coming into the year, and then the more you watched him this year, you just fall in love with him with the way he plays, the 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 play personality, um, the the tenacity that he plays with. I he is such an aggressive player, and sometimes it works against him. I think over the last two years, he's he's over double digit penalties, and you know you you live and die with that. But I think that there's way more, uh, it, it, you know, to be excited about with with Devin Witherspoon. Do you wish you were a little bit bigger? Uh, yeah, no question. Uh, you know, he you know, hopefully he can stay around that 185 range. That's what he came in at, at his pro day. Ran a 4.43, which is outstanding for him. Better than I think a lot of uh, a lot of people thought he would run. Um, so you know, there's it's a lot of thing about Witherspoon that translates to the pro game. And as long as you feel good about that 185. Yeah, I, I think you have no problem taking Witherspoon in the, in, in the top 10. To me, these are two top 10 players in this draft. So I, I think you feel good with either one. All right, Dane, I want to get you out of here with a couple predictions and then telling everybody where they can find the beast. So um, anything as far as draft night, bold takes, predictions, how do you see the first round shaking out? Uh, every year there are some surprises. Is there anything either that you're hearing or that you're just feeling that might be a surprise? as far as uh, draft night goes? Um, okay, so a surprise on draft night. Um, Sorry, this is, a, this is a bad question. I hate when people put me on the spot like this, like, <laughs> hey, tell me something crazy. Uh, no, uh, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of something good, though, you know, like yeah. a, something juicy to, uh, to really be bold about. I mean, I, I do think Bryce goes one. Um, I, I, I don't think Tyree Wilson goes ahead of Will Anderson. I know that's that's a that's a juicy one that a lot of people like to throw out there. I don't think that happens. Um, how about how about Hennon Hooker goes on round two? Uh, it, it seems like everyone puts him in round one. Uh, like that's going to happen. Some people put him in the top ten. I'm going to say he doesn't go into round two. Um, and 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 I wouldn't be surprised if he does go round one. Just you know, especially if a team really does value that fifth year option. But let's say Hennon Hooker doesn't go until round two. That, that's my bold prediction for round one. It's I where like he it. belongs. It is, it is where he should be. Yeah, that's where he should be. Okay, really quick, though. You mentioned Tyree Wilson. Last yeah. year, you were one of the first names to mention Trayvon Walker, right? And you, I think you mentioned, hey, watch out for Trayvon Walker in the first. He could be, you know, top 20. And before you know it, it's like, ah, right. he could be top 10. And then at some point, it's like, ah, guys, Trayvon Walker might go number one by the way, and I didn't believe it until the name was actually called. Um, we haven't seen somebody with that lack of production but incredible tools go that high. I think there's some similarities to Tyree Wilson. How do you compare those two prospects? Mm. And do you, do you think there are some similarities? Do you disagree? You have Tyree Wilson as your number two edge just behind Will Anderson. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. I think um, you could explain it a little bit more with Trayvon, you know, being part of such a loaded depth chart being in that system, what he was asked to do specifically, um, you know, making the most of the snaps that he was getting, where Tyree Wilson, you know, it's, okay, why did it take until, you know, year five for us to really see uh, th this guy that could you know, disrupt the pocket like he was able to do? And, I mean, he was productive last year as a junior, but I don't, we didn't really see it, I, I think, uh, you know, full go until this year. So I, I think it was easier to explain maybe the lack of, uh, production over his career. And I think also Trayvon Walker being in the SEC, uh, Trayvon or, uh, Tyree, uh, uh, Tyree Wilson being in the Big 12, uh, you know, you, you would expect more. Tyree had like seven sacks this year. His uh, pressure numbers were awesome, though. Um, but I think that for a guy that just how you draw him up, how you want him to look, they 
both. I mean, I can understand why you'd make that comparison. They're both really super long. Uh, they're both athletic. We don't have testing numbers on Tyree, unfortunately, because of that foot. But I, I think he would have been tested uh, fantastic. Um, I, I do think with Ty, uh, Tyree being a little bit older, he's going to be a 23-year-old uh, rookie. I, that that may be a, a difference with between him and uh, uh, Trayvon. But I, I, I think traits-wise, I could see some parallels. All right, Dane, we appreciate it. Tell everybody where they could get The Beast, your uh, your pride and joy here. Uh, you just need a subscription to The Athletic. Uh, and if you have your subscription, you get it free. Um, so I think it's a pretty good value. And you know what? If you just if you don't want uh, you just want to check it out, The Athletic, for a month, sign up for a month. And you get all of our draft coverage as well. Um, download the PDF. A lot of people print it out. Uh, it's uh, over 400 reports. Uh, no, no other... Uh, draft guide has pro day data and all the testing NFL verified testing data for almost 1900 prospects like this one does. So, uh, I, I think NFL draft nuts will really find it useful. I'm printing it out here on the office, uh, printer, by the way, Three, that's how, that's the trick. Do it at the office. 300,000 yeah. words and people are printing this thing out. Yeah. I just press <laughs> eight, control eight, eight P. point font. Yeah. I try, <laughs> I try not to make it wordy. I just, I, I want to. I want to paint a picture. That's the goal of every report. You know, paint a picture of if you don't know anything about this guy, after your reader's report, you, you should have a, a better idea of, okay, this is what this guy's going to bring to our team. Background, uh, the analysis, the testing, the stats, all that stuff. How, how much of this is done as of like a month ago? Or are you cramming the last month trying to get the last stuff done? Is this a I think it's, stretch? Yeah, it, most of the hay's in the barn, but it's it's a matter of um, cross-checking and making sure, okay, any late injury stuff. Um, and then really it's a lot of – and the big guys are done. You know, that they were done in January. But as we know, a lot of guys get drafted just based off how they work out at the pro day. Right. So co combing through all those numbers, thousands and thousands of players – and say, oh, this Kent State linebacker ran a four-four-four at his pro day. Okay, I need to look more into him. Or uh, what the last before we were ready to go to print and send the guide out, and then Montana State—they always have their pro day last every year. And uh, like literally the day before we were done, Montana State uh, is their safety Ty Okada. Uh, had a, this amazing pro day, and now is a decent chance to get drafted. And it's like, okay, I need to go back and watch more tape on Okada and make sure he's in the guide. And sure enough, yeah, he, he made it because the tape is good enough and the pro day was awesome. So it's more about the pro day data, figuring out, okay, who are those late risers going to be? Um, and, and then, you know, just getting getting info from my contacts in the league to figure out, okay, who, who maybe do I need to go back and look more on, see more of, that type of thing. Awesome. Well, it's great stuff. I love having it. It's uh, You get everything you need Thank on you. all those prospects. So great work, Dane. We appreciate it. Appreciate all your time here. Everybody go check out The Athletic, subscribe, and just uh, you know, tell, them, tell them Dane sent you, right? That's why you're there. Go get the, go get the beast. So thank you, Dane. Enjoy the rest of draft season, and uh, always, always a good time here. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you, guys. Anytime. All right, we're letting Dane go, and we're going to wrap it up here on the PFF NFL podcast. Mm -hmm. Still live. That was fun, man. I mean, we got about 45 minutes there, and there's like a million other things that we could discuss. Yeah, barely scratched the surface. I mean, this, this guide he has is insane. Like 300,000 words, 308 pages, uh, however many guys he said he ranked there. Um, and the information in it is insane. Like, you don't find that information anywhere else in terms of like background nuggets. You know, like the hospital that Bryce Young was born in. Yeah. That kind of thing. Not sure why you need that, but it's there.
it is all there. I mean, so this is this is probably the closest thing to emulating though what is what is in an NFL scouting department as yeah. far as the information, right? A general manager can log in, and it's interesting how their scouting systems are set up, right? Scouts in an organization can only see a certain level of uh, information, right? They don't get everybody's grades, right? Because you don't want to get uh, influenced or whatever, but a GM gets to see every scout's grades, every coach's grades, all of the background information, whatever. So a GM can log into their scouting system and get all of this stuff, right? You have all of this information on the players, plus your your grades and all that stuff. Um, and this emulates an NFL scouting system in that respect, right? Because it's not just, hey, I think this guy's good. I right. think this guy's a second rounder. It really is the art and science, art more than science of it, because there's a lot of information. And it's like, how do you want to weigh all of this information? That's what teams are always dealing with. Yeah, no, it, it is a ton of that that information that doesn't tend to exist in a lot of other um, kind of media type of draft uh, draft guides. So there's definitely something unique here. It was interesting when we were talking to him. He's another guy who seems to skew towards that traits sort of type of player, right? The the betting on what Gonzalez can become rather than what he is right now, um, which is not necessarily, I'm not criticizing that as a concept. I think sometimes that gets NFL, gets the NFL into trouble, see Trayvon Walker. Um, but there's also obviously, like, that's the purpose, right? Is to figure out what a player is going to be, not what he was for the last four years. Like we, we know that, we have information on that. We can articulate what a player was the critical element is trying to figure out what he can, what he will be if we select him in the draft at, in the first round and he, he gets to our team and in our system and all those kinds of things. So it is the name of the game, but I think sometimes that approach of let's bet on the traits and let's get the coaches to figure out the rest saddles you with some players that aren't actually that great. But I do, I do like how Dane said that, right? What he mentioned about quarterback specifically, but he said you're betting on something, right? Everything you're doing is betting on something because everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, yeah. right? And I think that that comes back to the phrase I keep using with risk appetite and all that stuff, right? Um, here's what's interesting to me. You, everybody needs a framework to start from. And some people start with this framework of traits, right? Give me all the guys that can do NFL level things. Mm. And even if they don't do it often enough, that's the pool that I want to draft from. Um, I might take the approach that I'm going to model, you know, d uh, production data points and measurable data points, and that might be my framework, right? Um, the Bears, uh, did you see the Bears video? The analytics cylinder? The, al the analytics cylinder that was out there. By the way, I mean, like, I'm, <laughs> the analytics cylinder that was on there, that slide was made for the video. It was not made for Ryan Poles. That slide was made so that people have this idea of what they're doing. I mean, that's what it was for. The, the slide, the fact that the slide was created, I think, is the, the problem more where it was designed for. So for people that didn't show, it was behind the scenes with the Bears, their draft process going into this, how, when they traded down from number one, they got into their analytics department and some of the, the information that they had. Here's what stood out to me there, though. You have Ryan Poles goes you know to their team he's like give me something give me some information right and then it was it was almost like uh this guy has a good get off this guy does this well that well whatever i feel like that's how the organizations generally work there was a behind the scenes video for the colts a couple of years ago where you know we know the guys in the colts john park who's who's there and chris ballard you know they're, they're going through and every scout's giving their take on a player and then it's like hey john give me a nugget and he goes to john oh this guy does blah 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 I, I do feel like the, the analytics component or the numbers component 
is often seen as like the cherry on top, right? As long as that backs things up, we feel good about it, but the scouting is the foundation. What I'm curious about, Sam, what if you ran the organization starting with the data? What if you started yeah. with our baseline is not my scouting grades, it's actually this analytical pool of players, which is essentially what I'm doing, analytical pool of players say start there and then you still do your scouting and all that stuff but you start with hey analytical gm these are my players hey scouts give me something on this guy do you like him or not you know i wonder if you just reverse things a little bit if your hit rates would be a little bit better i mean to me what i think you want to do is effectively have build two separate boards and then the last thing in the process the last thing in the process or somewhere in the middle you effectively mash them together. So number one is the traditional scouting method of area scouts, you know, background, the, the same way it's always been done. You get those guys, they grade, they go through the tape, they do their thing, and then you compile a very conventional, traditional style, tape-based draft board. Um, and then you do kind of what you're doing with your model, much as I hate to give it credit. Like you essentially look through all the data we have and figure out what are the things that that predict performance most effectively what are the thresholds we need to meet in terms of athleticism in terms of production in terms of all these things right what are the most important elements of all those kind of things figure out what that looks like create the model come up with the models big board right adjusting for position value and all that kind of thing and then you essentially have these two different top 150s or whatever now you start looking at okay Who's a massive outlier over here that this thing thinks stinks? Who's a massive outlier over here that these guys think stink? And let's start cross-checking and let's start figuring out who do we take off these lists because they don't meet one or two of these, one or other of these things. And then conversely, like who is universally loved by both sides? Who do the tape guys and the data say are going to be great? Those have to have like a special degree of confidence that they're going to end up being amazing. That is presumably how you're going to end up with the strongest board possible. Yeah, and, and look, I think there's elements of that across the league. Um, I, I think there's a lot of cross-comparing and the, the data people, the analytics people, or whoever, data scientists, they do kind of go in their own place and come up with their stuff for free agency and for the draft and all that stuff. But again, I think when it gets implemented, scouting is the bigger piece of the pie. And, and then the analytics stuff just kind of just kind of tweaks a little bit. And I am fascinated by doing it the other way. Um, and even when I am modeling, I'm using Dane's information. We are doing some work on the actual uh, scouting reports that he's putting together and trying to quantify those a little bit and kind of find similarities in Dane's writing through the years. And that's, that's actually the benefit of the rich writing. There's a lot of that stuff happening around sports right now where you tell your scouts, write your scouting reports. Um, I, I care less about your hit rate. I care more about your analysis, what a guy does well, what he doesn't do well. And you run that through your text analytics and all that stuff and come up with some, some insights and see um, not so much when you as a human rank somebody, but when you write something, how much weight does that hold historically? Does that matter? Does it not matter? Those things are interesting to me. So you can use the scouts as part of modeling and quantifying things. And again, I think a lot of smart teams are doing that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. What else you got, man? That's about it. I think we're out today. We're That's, done. You just want to wrap it up? Yeah. Well, go check out The Beast over at The Athletic. Dane does a great job. We appreciate having him 
join the show. What do we have uh, for tomorrow's show, Sam? Something very special. Yeah, tomorrow you're gonna, you've heard a lot recently about these S2 tests, cognitive tests that people are using, and the scores are being leaked out, and it's become the new wonderlick, essentially. You know, the kind of uh, mental test that's taken behind the scenes that all of a sudden the numbers start leaking out, and when we everybody makes something of that pre-draft. Um, so we decided to have on the founder, co-founder of uh, S2 Cognition, I think is the company's name, uh, a guy called Brandon Ally. So he's going to be coming on tomorrow. I've, I talked to him yesterday. We, we had the whole interview set. Um, you're going to take a look at it, and then we'll, uh, we'll have a little reaction on the show as well. But that'll be tomorrow's show is talking through this test, what it's capable of doing, what its applications are, the, the kind of players that have shown really well in the past, um, you know, whether we would do well at it, that kind of thing. Somebody in the chat has just asked. He said, Sam and Steve should take the test. I have my money on Steve. It's going higher. Wow. That's pretty cold. Uh, yeah, I'm, I am interested in uh, hearing what he has to say. Knowing what it measures, I do know from my own playing career that that is not an area I thrive in. Well, I'm trying to figure this out. Like if, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's different across sports. Like if you asked me, I played two sports, basketball and baseball, right? And for basketball, I did not have good natural feel for the game. I'm just not a natural basketball player. But in baseball, as a pitcher, you don't have a lot of these opportunities. But I was a, like, I just understood the game. I had a pretty good instinctual feel for the game. The few times that it came up as a pitcher. Like I would, I would do stuff on the field that I didn't know that I could do. Yeah. As far as like a slide pickup and throw, like just instinctive plays, athletic plays that I didn't know. So I wonder if it's different by sport or if it's just this athletic awareness where it's like if you're good at this, you'd be a good point guard and you'd be a good quarterback yeah. and you'd be a good I mean, center if you could, in hockey if you could skate, you know? Maybe one of the things that, they, that, that is kind of getting lost in this world of, oh, Will Levis had a 93 or whatever that's getting thrown out there right now is – it's not one test. Like it's a, it's sort of seven components that measure different things that are getting much like PFF grade that then get like mashed together and, oh, you're a 93, right? So the, the numbers that are getting thrown, right, they, they're a very like blunt tool in terms of what this thing is actually doing, which is much more granular in articulating like how a guy's processing works, not just does it work good or bad. Right. Yeah, so it's going to be a great show. So uh, tune in tomorrow, a little S2 cognition test mm -hmm. um, again thanks to dane go check out the beast over at the athletic that's it for us today we'll see you tomorrow